So, Bob, we have a bunch of questions from the listeners that they want you and I to answer. What do you say we read them and answer them? How close are we? Uh, to finishing? Yeah. Uh, wow. I mean, let's just say we have a ways to go. <laughs> um, first question here. What is the most important thing in a friendship? Bob, what do you think? Compassion. Compassion. That's funny. For me, I said empathy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty, pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, what is your dream vacation spot? Maui. Really? Uh, probably. We had a great vacation in my, Maui once. But the part of Maui we went to is sort of like fantasy land. What do you like about Maui? The fantasy land part of it. Like the resort part of it? Yeah. Yeah. We, we stayed at this condo, and it was on the 11th floor, and the view was just unbelievable. Yeah. And that's like... Every day, it's like that. It's just amazing. And I used to just watch Colleen watch The View, and she was so happy. And she fed the birds, which you're really not supposed to do because then they poop all over the deck, which they did. So I spent the morning of the last day we were there cleaning up bird poop and really enjoying the fact that she she got a chance to kind of just hang out there, and she would just... I don't see her smile like that very often. So, um, And there was a Starbucks that was, you know, maybe quarter of a mile away that I could walk to every morning and it was literally about 50 feet from the ocean so I'd sit outside and write and um, watch the ocean and then she'd come find me that was I was actually kind of a morning guy back then because I would get up early and go writing Um, and then she'd come and join me and we have a coffee together and it was and it was right when she quit her job so that was really important transition for her because well, it was. She'd been at that place for a long, long time. Um, and that was the beginning of a year of not working, which was, you know, intentional. Like, um, Which was really cool because she was really nervous about it. And three days after she quit her job, we flew to Maui. And we were there for two weeks, which, by the way, I didn't know this till I met Colleen. Well, first off, I didn't take any vacations till I met Colleen. I'd go visit my family. That's a little different from a vacation. And it was always a week. And then with Colleen, she's like, well, I want to go on vacation. I want it to be two weeks. And I'm like, I don't even know if I'm going to have a practice when I get back. But I discovered that uh, two weeks is deluxe. Three's better. Because it takes a week to get into it. Exactly. Yeah. So I can't remember the last time I had, well, even any kind of vacation, honestly. You do. I haven't, I mean, it, when was the last kind of vacation I had? Europe? You went to, you went to, the last time I think you traveled, you were in London. That was like five or six years ago. Yeah, that's a ways. I went to Mexico a couple years ago for about five days. That was nice. You went to Colombia. I went to Bogota. That was about that was about a week. I went to Cuba. Cuba. That was about a week. Um, but yeah, you know, as you're talking, it's like I should take like a two week thing. Oh, but yeah. honestly, for me. So for me to answer this question, what's my dream vacation spot? Right. Um, I kind of just like staying in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't, there are people who think about traveling a lot and I'm not one of those people. Like I like to travel, but oh, yeah. honestly, I could never leave Seattle for the rest of my life and be totally fine. Right. Huh? There's enough to do here. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's enough fun and, and variety that I can get from the city. You know, I, I'm not planning on never leaving Seattle. No, you'll come. But honestly, I, I could stay in Seattle the rest of my life and also vacation in Seattle. Yeah. Like one of the things I like to do with the wife is go down to the waterfront, you know, stay at the Edgewater mm-hmm. Inn or something and just enjoy downtown, yeah. for example. Yeah. Uh, but if I had to choose a place for vacation, I love cities. Yeah. And my favorite cities are L.A., New York, and London. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to other kinds of cities. I mean, Tokyo is awesome, but it can be completely overwhelming. Mm. And the fact that I don't speak Japanese <laughs> makes it a harder. That's why London is so great, because it's obviously like a different country, but I can communicate with everyone there. Right. And New York just has so many things to do, um, similar to London. And L.A., too. I, I find L.A., people dog on L.A. I, I find L.A. to be a delightful city. I like LA. That's yeah. a great city. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely, 
uh, I don't know, it just has a different vibe to it than obviously New York or London does. So, because most people when they think about vacation, they think of of a national park or a beach or something. Hmm. And I, uh, I'll, I'll do it if you sure. force me, but right. I'm not really into it. Like my dream vacation, we had we Stacy and I were going to go to New York City last May, and of course oh, right. the airlines actually canceled all of our right. And what I was, what I wanted to do, and I still want to, is kind of recreate a vacation Stacy and I had there a few, I don't know, five or six years ago, where you go to the comedy shows, maybe a Broadway show, you go to a nice Italian restaurant in oh, Little yeah. Italy, oh, yeah. <laughs> you go to museums, you go to, you walk through Central Park. I mean, because to me, I'm such a movie and film and TV show nerd that I'm like, oh my God, Woody Allen shot a scene right there. And right. oh my God, Edward Burns, you know, was in a movie that was on that corner. And right. oh my God, Seinfeld was over there. And yeah. I just love that kind of thing. LA is similar. And I, yeah, I just like what cities have to offer in terms of comedy and shows and pizza joints and quirky bars. Like that we were, Stacy and I, we're walking through Manhattan, lower Manhattan, and there was where was I was this little little bar. It was a basement bar. You know how in Manhattan they have like it either goes up or down, mm-hmm. right? The brownstone kind of. Th- I don't know how you describe it, but it was a down bar. And we walked in, and I thought it was kind of nice. There was hardly anyone in there. Maybe just like literally like three people got a drink, and then this band started playing. And it was this, I think, kind of like Brazilian band or something, but it was, I don't know how to describe it. It was like modern Brazilian, but with salsa feel to it or something. Anyway, um, so I had some more drinks, and we were basically the only ones in the audience. So there's this, there's this huge band, and we're like sitting in these cute little, I don't know how to describe it, but I just want to call it New York style chairs. These like old deli chairs We're right in front of the band. We're having a great time. And then because we're into it and we're the only audience members, the lead singer started really kind of interacting with us. And by the time, the end of the night, we're on stage dancing with the lead singer, <laughs> the two of us. And, uh, just having a blast, you know, how fun. Just stuff like that, you know. It's hard to find that when you're at a beach resort kind of kind of place. Right. I'll also say that I did experience a beach resort in Mexico uh, two years ago for the first time. I've you know I've never been on a cruise. Yeah. I've I've never gone to an all inclusive right. resort kind of thing. Right. I I always imagined it was it would be terrible, but it was not terrible. Yeah. The beach resort we went to in Puerto Vallarta was uh, was quite lovely. All yeah. you could eat. Yeah. All you could drink, yeah. uh, free live shows, great service, something like 15 pools. <laughs> you had ping pong and uh, they did different events and you could do yoga and there was the water. We did we did jet or ski and then there was the town like it. It was um, it was nice. But anyway, yeah, my but if I had to choose one. <laughs> place i would say i don't know it's it's hard to choose between new york la and london Uh but if i had to choose i might say at this point london because not only is london great but there's the outskirts of london that is so great too there's so much history there as well i mean the romans have buildings you know in london trippy yeah and freud's ashes are in, in london and Different Beatles locations are oh, in right. London. Beatles, of course. And the Magna Carta is in London, <laughs> you know, and all that stuff. So I, I would say London. Next question. If you won an all-expense-paid trip for two anywhere on the planet, where would you go and why, Bob? An all-expense-paid trip? For you and Colleen. Well, see, one of the things that's worth knowing about me is I'm travel-phobic. Oh. So I don't like traveling. What's, uh, what are you afraid of? Um, the unfamiliar. Really? Yeah. Like, like something's going to go wrong, or I won't know where we are, or yeah, something will go wrong. Right. Like actual fear, you feel like anxiety. Yeah. Or just like I don't want to do that. Not not for me. 
Well, we, we went to we went to Kauai once, and for two days I was just anxious. I was thinking, you know, just one good strong wave, and this whole place is gone. Oh, that's right. You have you have tidal wave fear too. I have lots of very yeah yep yeah. yeah. St- Stacy has that. She, yeah, she, we've we've talked about. It. Yeah, there t- there's a phobia of tidal waves. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 my fear can show up in any number of ways. That just being one of them. Um. An all-expense-paid trip. Boy, if Colleen were here, she'd have lots of answers. She'd probably say a safari in Africa. Really? Which I will go to a safari <laughs> in Africa because I'm this is like required. Whatever you want to do, Bob. Whatever I want to do. Anywhere I want to go. I'd probably go back to um, Champagne Country in France. That'd be fun. Okay. Mm, how long do I have on my all-expense-paid trip? Two weeks. Two weeks. Okay, so half of it. No, no, you don't need you don't need a half week in you don't need a week in France that part of France, but a couple three days would be good, and then um, and then what? Um, ah, Paris is kind of cool. We were there. That was that was kind of cool. But let's see, maybe I don't know. They say Amsterdam, maybe Greece. Mm. You went to Greece, yeah? Athens, I loved. I thought Athens had a lot of interesting things to do and see. Yeah, in the city itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you talk about the history. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It goes way back. Yeah. Um, for me, it'd be Italy. I, I've never oh, been. Yeah. And it just seems like, of course, and I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm nerdy with Roman history. I've listened to a lot of in-depth podcasts about <laughs> uh, Roman history and mm-hmm. watched the TV show Rome and mm-hmm. other kinds of documentaries. And so... Uh, I'd want to know that, but also just the food and the landscape and the people, and mm-hmm. also a lot of movies take place in Italy. <laughs> That's true. Um, the other place I would think is would be India, India, uh, because I, I've been I've been to Tokyo. Hong Kong would also be a big thing, but to me, India just seems so different. It just seems like to go to Delhi or something would be so different than anything I've ever experienced, and it just seems like that would be a good use of one's vacation, right? Bob, do you think there's any psychology behind a dog or a cat person? Psychology? Like... Personality like, differences. Um, well, they like dogs and cats. Uh, there's that. Yeah. Um, maybe there's a kind of empathy that um, dog and cat people have towards our four-legged friends that non-dog or cat people have, but... Maybe there's, and I, there, for some, there's probably a bit of an anthropomorphizing of said creatures, but no, I don't think there's anything particular. Do you? Well, so I have a lot to say about this because it bothers me. Uh, I love cats and dogs and I, the, because you'll hear these claims, you know, like to like a, for a guy to be a cat person is that's something's wrong with that. Really? Oh yeah. Because oh. it's feminine scene. Oh, it seems. Is that because f- they call it a feline? It sounds like female. Who knows? Yeah. Smaller. Smaller. Uh, I love cats. They. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I love cats. Dogs and cats are wonderful. Yeah. Uh, it'd be like saying, I don't know, like yeah, it's just to choosing between the two or sort of hierarchy. Yeah. Now, if you like dogs more than cats or cats more than yeah. dogs, it's fine. Yeah, They're very different pets. One is, you know, it's a completely different animal, yep. if you will. Yep. And, but yeah, there's tons of culture around this that's always bothered me. One, that it's feminine to like cats. Hmm. Two, that if you have too many cats, according to culture, there's something wrong with you. Oh. you know? And uh, and there's also a certain machismo to having macho type dogs, right? Yeah, right. To have like a pit bull or a German yeah. schnauzer or something, or right. a, a German shepherd. <laughs> people are such cupcakes <laughs> yeah right and all that culture has always been silly to me it's like if you just get a pet and live with it, mm. it it's not an accessory no. it's not an identity it's not a yeah. um expression of your individuality you just have a freaking pet 
like get mm-hmm. over it. It's fine. Doesn't indicate really anything about yeah. you. It just indicates, like you said, that you like that animal yeah. and, and you chose to have it. You know, it's like the difference between having like one child versus five kids. It doesn't matter. It's just a choice that you make. Right. Uh, and well, you must be a kid person, right? Or you must be a five kid person. And mm-hmm. those those people are different. Like no, like we just decided to have five kids. Right. Uh, and so it, it's it's all just it's it's very silly culture that that's always bothered me. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly. The chip on my shoulder is because most of the negative side of the culture is towards men who have cats, who really? have multiple cats. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I would hear it all the time. People like, because, you know, anyway. So uh, research, though, because there's been a fair amount of research on looking mm-hmm. at, quote, unquote, dog people versus cat people. Mm-hmm. Long and short of it, no difference in personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people who like dogs, people who like cats, people who have dogs, people who have cats, people who have both. No discernible difference in personality. So, uh, no, there is no "quote unquote" psychology between between a dog or a cat person. Even mm-hmm. though culture will say there is ton of it. Sure. Uh, I did find one study, Gosling et al. 2015. Uh, what do you think, Bob? Percentage wise, how many of the respondents self-identified as a dog person? Percentage. So there, there's the, the dog person, cat person, uh, neither or both. So percentage that identified as a dog person? 40. Good, 46. Huh. Percentage said they were a cat person? 22. 12. Wow. So I should say something right there of like the stigma around being called a cat person. To be called it, because the other thing that I'll say sometimes that people will say about dogs and cats is people with cats will feel have, they'll feel like they have to justify the fact that they have cats. Really? Oh, yeah. I can't believe you haven't experienced this before. Cats are so cool. How could I know. you? But that people will people feel like they have to justify they have cats, and one of the ways they do it is to be like, "But my cat is so much like a dog." Have you heard someone say that before? <laughs> yes, of course. It's like one: no cat is like a dog. No. Two: why do you care? You know, like right. what? Like it's this. It's it's not like a it's not like a cat like a stereotypical. This cat it's like cool. It's like a dog. Yeah. Yeah. And and whenever they want to make a joke in a movie or a TV show, it's they never have a dog. They always have a cat. Like. A cat will attack, you know, hiss, and then they'll kick the cat. They wouldn't do that to a dog. You know what I mean? The cats are right. much more expendable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and almost, you know, cruel behavior to cats is is a lot more acceptable people, in our culture. People that to a dog, they'd all be horrified. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, percentage say they're both cat and dog people. Fifty. Uh, Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Percentage says they're neither. Well, let's see what's left. I think they might have been able to. Oh yeah, I guess maybe it is a thirty percent, fifteen, fifteen. Yeah, so almost half say dog, about one in ten say cat, about one in three say cat and dog, and about one in eight say they're neither. Well, now you have cats, dogs, right? That's your history. I've had cats, dogs. Do you identify as a cat and or dog person? No, I'm a cat and dog person. So if I would have asked, I'd say I'm both a cat and a dog person. I love, love, love cats. Yeah. And I love, love, love dogs. Yeah, dogs are great. Like, uh, I don't, I don't. And to me, the the other part of this cultural thing that bothers me is for people that say, oh, I'm a dog person. I consider that to be slightly hostile to cats. Oh, because it's, it's that, that exclusivity to it. It's like, it? yeah, I'm a dog person. I don't like cats. Yeah. And I think, one, either you've never experienced yeah. a real cat right or 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 the one cat you have experienced was a real a-hole because right. they do exist and dogs too by the way <laughs> um because to say you're a dog person i f- i find i i just it i'm like well what about cats like you are you a d-bag about cats yeah. like what's what's wrong with cats right. y- you can say i prefer not to have a cat for the following reasons i sure. don't like them pooping in the house yeah, yeah, yeah. Not i i want something I can walk. Oh. I want more kind of interactions because cats, you know, they can be pretty, they can be standoffish, yeah. but there's also cats that are extremely in oh, your face all the time. Yeah. And all they want to do is cuddle. Right. So anyway, uh, I just, I don't know. I, I've, I have a chip on my shoulder, uh, but they did find that for people who are dog and cat people, there are some things we can't say about their personality as opposed to people who are not dog and cat people. So we have the big five personality traits. We have openness, um, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, neuroticism. Um, any idea 
speculation about what you would see. Or actually, no, let me back up. That they did find there was, so this one study did find there was a difference personality-wise between dog and cat people. So dog people being one kind and cat people being the other? A lot of other studies found no difference. Mm -hmm. I just want to point that out. But this one study did find some differences. Um, So in terms of extroversion, is it which is higher, dog or cat people? Dog. True. Agreeableness, dog or cat people? Dog. True. Why do you say that? Dogs are, um, well, maybe this is me. I, my cat was very assertive. And my dog were really kind of well. Actually, she's kind of a jerk these days. She's she's pretty pushy. Um, but I found that uh, dogs are more um, flexible and amenable to change. Like um, uh, my cat would be really upset if we if we took him on a vacation down to the beach house. But the dog loves going there. Right. Yeah. Conscientiousness, dog or cat people. Dog. Yeah. Neuroticism, meaning. You know, negative feelings. Cat. Right. Openness. Dog. Cat. Openness cat. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, but again, I, I just want to state for the record. Yeah. The vast majority of research found no difference. No, no difference. Between dog and cat people, because why would there be, really? Yeah. I mean, per- personality is much more comp- complicated than that. Yeah. I, I imagine it has a lot to do with what you grew up with. I grew up with cats and dogs. Yeah. So I love cats and dogs. Right. If you grew up with dogs, then I'm guessing you love dogs. Yeah. If, and I know people who didn't grow up with either, and they don't like either. Right. <laughs> you know, my parents, for example, didn't grow up with any pets in their house. And so they're not dog or cat people. Um, they like dogs and cats, but they don't have any, mm-hmm. for example, even though I keep telling them to get some. <laughs> what do you appreciate about one another, Bob? Oh, well, um, what do I appreciate about you? I appreciate how self-accepting you are, (laughs) Um, how insightful you are. Um, I appreciate your wisdom. Oh, and I, you know, I really enjoy your company. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate, yeah, same about your company and that you're uh, the best listener I've ever met, oh. and that you're you're very caring and compassionate, mm. and there's really no, you know, I can really trust. I can really trust you. Oh. I guess that's a big thing. That's not a common feeling that I have in people. Really, the ability to say, I trust that Bob has my interests in mind, or you know, tries. And that he cares and that I can rely on him, not just to show up, but also to emotionally kind Mm of um, be reliable. Thanks. Yeah. That's a big deal. I mean. Agreed. It's really, what more do you want out of a friendship? Yeah, right. Bob, what influenced your decision to not have children? Um, My experiences as, as a kid. I, um, I decided I didn't want to, I had the vulnerability to, and I didn't want to act in the ways in which I was acted upon, um, with anybody that couldn't defend themselves. I didn't want to be like my dad. I don't think he was, I think, um, the way his life unfolded was more than he could easily, um, tolerate. I mean, he was 29, he had four kids. I'm 54, I don't have any, and I remember being 29. I don't know what I would have done, but I think I would have been irritable, grumpy, um, short, short-tempered and mm. impulsive, and um, not understood what I was really up, up getting into here by having children. Mm. So I'm very happy as an uncle. <laughs> I like being an uncle. Next person. Hi, I have borderline personality disorder and find myself to be in constant preoccupation. I've always imagined, I've, I'm always imagining conversations and scenarios in my head and constantly have racing thoughts. 
It's exhausting, and I almost feel like I'm living two lives, one in my head and one in the real world. It takes me twice as long completing everyday simple tasks because I feel like I'm multitasking all the time. Mm. Please, can you give me any advice on how to combat this? Bob, is there a DBT skill? Yeah, there's some DBT stuff. The mindfulness stuff in DBT probably very, very useful for you. Um, One of the skills is actually called being one mindful, and it is literally focusing and refocusing and then refocusing and refocusing on what am I doing right now? Just what yeah. am I doing right now? Instead of future tripping or p- yeah. past, past, tri- past tripping. tripping. Yeah, or other stuff tripping like, oh, I should be picking up the dry cleaning when I'm standing here washing dishes. Bring my brain back to. Now, the thing to keep in mind, at least I, I hope you'll keep it in mind, is that the human brain is such that your brain, it'll drift to the future, the past, other stuff. It'll just do that. And that that's not a sign of any kind of pathology or problem that um, if you want to get a strong core, you do, I suppose, among other things, you do sit-ups. And each time you do a sit-up, you've done a rep and you've made your muscles a little bit stronger. The brain, um, same thing, you can do reps. Now, the reps in this case won't necessarily stop you from drifting into, you know, worries or whatever. Um, But perhaps... What will happen over time if you keep doing it is you'll become friendlier with your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I think about when I concentrate on the moment mm-hmm. and specifically avoid intrusive habitual thoughts about the future and the mm-hmm. past, even mm-hmm. if it's just sort of a temporary thought that's that's this week or something, mm-hmm. I find it is completely liberating. I, yeah. I instantly feel this burden uh, be, you know, shed and... I am so much happier and feel so much more um, uh, grateful, I guess. Mm, Nice. Next question. I've told my therapist that I feel like she criticizes me. Wow. She said that there are just, those are just my projections that she criticizes me. Hmm. She did not apologize or address my feelings. It made me feel like like I don't matter. Should I change therapists? I don't know. I'd say you're not done with that one, though. That might be worth talking about further. It's possible that there's a problem with projection. I suppose that's possible. Um, what strikes me, though, isn't necessarily whether or not it's true. I suppose there's merit in in assessing that. But um, there's also merit in working with what is this like for me. I'm sitting with this person, paying money, and what is my experience and... Um, w- um, um, you know what? I don't like what I'm saying. I want to do over. Here's the do over. <laughs> Therapists are human too. If, if your therapist is critical of you, you're experiencing something like criticism. It seems to me that if it were me, if, if I were a therapist and my client said that to me, I would get real curious I'd want to understand that a lot more. I'd want to explore it. I'd also be candid about whether or not I experience myself as being critical. Um, Because I might, I have been, so yeah. So I might be. But um, I think I'd want to just pay attention to, well, how's this impacting, you know, you being here? Must be hard Mm -hmm. to be here and feel like you're going to get zinged. Or have been zinged. Or have been zinged. Yeah, for me, there are three option, three possibilities here, all of which are really quite common in therapy. One is that your therapist is a jerk face, criticized you, and then when you legitimately brought it up, your therapist didn't apologize, didn't address your feelings, and blamed you. Mm. Uh, that could be possible. I um, yeah. It's, it's unfortunate, possible. but yeah. that happens. The second option is that it's it's completely not your therapist that did anything wrong, so yeah. to speak, and you as a client are uh, misinterpreting things based on your own relational traumas, and it feels critical when it when it's not, and it feels very much like your therapist has done something terribly wrong when they have not. Right. Uh, and when you brought it up to your therapist, your therapist addressed it well enough, even along the lines of what Bob is saying, and you still just don't feel satisfied because of your relational traumas. This happens, you know, yeah. a lot. I, I've treated people where for, you know, I'll tell the story again just as a demonstration. 
I, I was working with a client once who had a significant abandonment, relational traumas, and she was so attached to me, and I encouraged that for a corrective experience, that she wanted to see me in between sessions, and I said I couldn't do that. And she said, well, could I call you? And I said, uh, sure. I mean, I'm at the, this is when I worked at an agency, and you can call the, you can call the agency whenever you want. It's, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to say no. But I'll tell you that I'm usually really busy with other clients. So, you know, if you catch me, you catch me. And she called one time and I was I was in the lobby with all the noise and all the other clients and the, you know, receptions people and all the other therapists coming in and out. And the receptionist says, oh, you know, your client's on line one. And I, I actually I went behind the desk at reception, picked up the phone and I, I took a beat. And I said, OK, don't. Don't rush this because if you do, it's going to hurt her. And so, you know, take take a couple minutes and and check in, and then you can say bye. So I took a deep breath, picked up the phone, talked with her, all the chaos going around me, but I was really focused on her, and I focused on her for about five minutes. And it was a pleasant conversation. She's like, oh, I just want to check in and see, you know, things are going okay, and our appointment's coming up. And yeah, everything's fine. And I'm totally calm. Uh, we said goodbye, hung up. Everything was good. And I thought, okay, nailed it. For no joke, uh, maybe a year, maybe two years, every other session for an average of 20 minutes was spent on how I had completely wronged her in that moment. Mm -hmm. So that's another possibility is that your client, your therapist is not criticizing you mm -hmm. and it feels like criticism mm -hmm. and your therapist is doing everything well and yet because of your transference, it feels like your therapist has done something terribly wrong. Damn. The third option is that it's somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. Where your therapist might be kind of criticizing you, but you're exaggerating it due to, due to transference. That your therapist responded okay, but not as well as they could have. And you're legitimately upset, but it's exaggerated by your relational traumas. But I don't know. I don't know which one it is. Right. All right, let's take a break. We get back. More questions. What do you say, Bob? Yes. Hey, Deserving Listeners, as you all know, I am constantly recommending that people go to therapy. We all need therapy from time to time. Well, one of the options available that is definitely worth checking out is BetterHelp. If you're looking for a therapist, I would give it a try by going to betterhelp.com Kirk. Make sure you use the promo code Kirk because you get 10% off your first month and it really helps us out. As you watch these videos, I know many of you have been motivated to find your own therapist, which is great because you deserve it. And I know also that it can be hard to find a good fit, find the right one for you. Well, one of the options available in terms of your shopping is to go to betterhelp.com Kirk. I've been told you can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message your counselor at any time. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. I've also been told that it's often less expensive than in-person therapy, and you should know that this service is available to clients worldwide. So go to betterhelp.com Kirk to get 10% off your first month today. All right, we're back from the break. I feel like we're getting a good pace, but there are so many more questions to go. <laughs> Bob, how can you determine when someone's apology is sincere after they did something that majorly broke your trust? How do you know that someone's apology is sincere? Um, feel. How's it feel? Yeah, how's it feel? Oh, you're asking? Yeah. Um, there's a sense that they're sincere, that they're remorseful. Um, perhaps it's in their words or their tone or their facial expression. Those are going to be good indicators. Um, if there's been an understanding of what the injury is, um, that's that's probably a that's a good indicator that they're that they that you can trust the apology um if there's depending on the thing if there's a commitment to not do it again mm -hmm. that that'd be a good indicator um defensiveness not a good indicator mm -hmm. i'm sorry but mm -hmm. you're seeing this in pop culture these days these pseudo apologies that people offer when they like tweet something or whatever and oh, then yeah. right i i can't stand them they're just first off who is healed by a tweet apology. Well, God, I could go on for so long about oh, this. I mean, obviously, yes. But there are times when I've had to, I don't use Twitter, but I've had to post an apology. You know, uh, and it's the only way I can communicate the, the with means. Okay, right, understood. And I also have to do it right away. Yeah. There was about, I don't know, months ago, 
I was doing this one couple on this reality TV show, Colt and Ladisa, for those of you following at home. And in the show, the, this couple was on this reality TV show, and they were on, I don't know, like two to three, four seasons or something. And I was watching the first season. So I was reviewing the first season, and that aired, you know, a few years ago. Right. And the way that the season was edited, cause, or the way that the characters decided to show themselves, it made the the dude look like he was not a bad guy. And it made the woman look like she had issues, oh. in, in a nutshell. Okay. Now, when I'm reacting, I'm not like, well, that person has more issues. I never say that because that's not how I think. Mm -hmm. But in the stuff I was saying, I, I was reacting to a lot of the things that she was doing. Yeah. And uh, people had the benefit of watching future seasons right. and knew the full story. Right. And I didn't because yeah. I hadn't watched it yet because yeah. I don't watch ahead because I don't want to spoil it. I want it to be genuine as I'm reacting. Right. Well, this couple also is quite possibly one of the most triggering couples on TV that's ever happened. This this couple. You mean they trigger one another? They trigger viewers. Oh. Yeah. They're, you know, one of the aspects that I've realized about watching reality TV is that for some cast members, there's just something about them that really just rubs people wrong the way that they talk or act or something. And, and this couple definitely is one of those couples. And... People are getting triggered, I think, understandably. But I'm watching the show, and what they're wanting from me, I think, from what I could tell, because there were just like you know, hundreds of negative comments of people yelling at me. And from what I could gather, they wanted me to be blasting the guy because oh. they didn't like him. Yeah. And they they liked her, but yeah. they hated him. I mean, there's there's a lot of variability here, but that was one of the clear messages that I was getting. And on one hand, I'm like, well, I, th and then other people would defend me. And they're like, he hasn't watched the other seasons. He doesn't know. He can only know what he's watched thus far. And the way that the show is edited, he's reacting to that. So he, what do you want him to do? Yeah. Like he's not investigating this couple. He's, he's not a journalist. He's right. not their therapist. He's just watching a show and talking about psychology. He's not even necessarily talking about them. Is that, that's one of the things that I do. I, sometimes I'm like, well, I see a sign of this in them, but I have no idea if this is true for them. But let me talk you, tell you about clients that I have seen yeah. the following in, and I talk about that. Right. That's almost always what I'm talking about. So, uh, but some people, and I think it's a minority, especially by now, because by now people are they're sort of they come to my channel for the flavor that I provide back then. It wasn't really that way. There was a lot of people because, because the other, the other aspect to this is on the internet, the vast, if not hundred percent of the content that people will provide in reaction to reality TV is, is extremely snarky and negative oh. and harsh and judgmental. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's almost never, and it happens occasionally where people will praise or even just be neutral or understanding about people on the show. Yeah. And people come to my channel with that, I think, cultural norm. And when I don't blast people, it, it rubs people wrong. Right. And which is fine. You know, if, if, if I'm not your content provider, then don't, you know, yeah. don't consume my, my content. Right. But anyway, so people were, um, so, and and there's always this kind of gauge that I will I have in my head of like you know there's always negative comments and there's always criticism, but there comes a point with this instance where it kind of builds to this critical mass that seems way more bigger and more intense and more consistent and immediate that I need to do something. I can't just no. forge ahead or yeah. or do a mild addressing of the criticism in a right. future episode. And it seemed to be mounting on this one particular set of days. It was, it was getting really bad. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it, it almost feels as a recipient of it, like a tidal wave, like a tidal wave of almost like a political movement, like a grassroots political movement. Uh -huh. Like, 
someone there's a there's a bubbling of an idea or a political idea in a community and you know one person starts to speak out and then someone else gets their pitchfork and then another person yeah let's get them you know there's a it has okay. a it, yeah, it, yeah it feeds on each other mm-hmm. because to me as a consumer when i watch youtube videos for example and something bothers me i'm just like well that bothers me and i just i don't i don't care to connect with others about how it bothers me (laughs) you know i'll just be like that bothered me moving on with my life or i just won't watch it or something but uh you know when you have maybe a particular feeling about anyway so that was happening and so i submitted a written apology and my apology was something along the lines of well, to all to all those concerned, oh, okay. and I said something like, "Because uh, um, their their accusation was that I was biased against her mm-hmm. and for him, uh-huh. and which is totally possible." Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so what I said in my apology was that I do apologize because it it wasn't just an observation that they had about me, like, "Oh, he seems biased." It was. These people were distressed as if I was harming them. Hmm. I had harmed them with my bias, which you could argue is not rational, but you could also argue is rational because if you depend on a certain content provider for whatever reason and you don't feel safe, you know, I want people to feel safe with us, right? I don't want people just to consume our content. I want people to feel safe. I want this to be a safe place. I yeah. want people to feel like, you know, I trust these people and I believe that they have my back, essentially. I can come here and feel held emotionally. Mm-hmm. And okay. so for that reason, when I was being perceived as being biased and it was hurting them, you know, it, it made sense to me. It was a minority opinion, okay. you know, but I felt there were enough of them, and I submitted a written apology and said, you know, I, I can be biased, absolutely, and I, I'm sorry that if, if that hurts any of you, and I can see where, why that would hurt people, and I will strive for a more... Um, nuanced point of view moving forward, you know, because it happens, you know, I'll be watching some of these couples on these shows and uh, well, it always happens that I'm biased because you cannot not be biased. I'm always distorted because you cannot not be distorted because you're a human being. But sometimes I will notice either from comments or just from me noticing that I am straying from a, a more differentiated point of view because of the way they're triggering me. Uh-huh. So I admitted that, and I, you know, I said that I was sorry, and yeah. that that seemed in the moment to quell the anger. Oh. people wanted to be seen, right. heard, validated. So the tweet uh, apologies are fraught with the possibility of being uh, not really communicated well, because how do you communicate an apology over you know a tweet? That's hard to do. But when people do it well, as I think I did in that instance. Because it was genuine, and but I but I didn't blame anyone. <laughs> I didn't say I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. Uh, I I thought I tried to address you know in the same way you're talking. I tried to address like what their concern was, mm-hmm. and I f- I found common ground. I think in what I was saying, I, and I didn't shame myself. I didn't say I'm a terrible person. Yeah, I, I was right. just like, yeah, these things happen, and uh, seems like maybe they did a little bit. And uh, I hear you, and I get you, and I'm with you. You know, I'm, I'm not against you, and you're okay to feel that way. Uh, I think I even said something like, "And for those of you who who don't agree with these people, just know that everyone's entitled to their opinion and to, to take on that anyway." Yeah, you wanted to protect. But um, so yeah. Anyway, that's my long <laughs> kind of jag on on that issue. But getting back to what you said, 100 percent that. Uh, you know, you're mentioning about are they sincere? Do they communicate feelings? Do they talk about like why they did it? Do they talk about how they're going to correct for it in the future? Those are all the hallmarks of a, of a good apology. Yeah. But the other thing I'll say is, you know, 
to the question, how can you determine when someone's apology is sincere? Sometimes you don't know. Yeah. Until you know. time will tell. Yeah. Because anyone can say, I'm sorry. Right. And I, I promise I'm going to try to change. But proof's in the pudding. Yeah. And, and this is one of the things that I keep trying to hammer home, and I'll, I'll do it one more time, which is that trust takes years. The reason why I trust you, Bob, is because you and I have been friends for 27 years. Wow. Yeah. So, and the first month I met you, I didn't trust you at all because I didn't know you. Right. Even though you're the same person and I'm the same, you know, yeah, we're right. generally the same people. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the fact that you trust Colleen is because you've been yeah. with her for so long. Uh, you can't trust someone until you have a track record of trustworthiness. That's how trust is built. Relationships, human relationships are meant to be decades long. They're not meant to be weeks long. Yeah. We were made and evolved in a context where we were born into a tribe and only knew those people. And the only new people to the tribe were people who were born into the tribe or occasional people from other tribes who married into our tribe. So, and that was like a hundred people-ish. Yeah. We are made for long-term relationships and when we walk around wondering why we don't trust anyone and all of our relationships are under a year long and we only see them every once in a while, then we shouldn't wonder why we have that feeling. Makes sense that we wouldn't. Yeah. How do you feel like an okay human again after making a really huge mistake? What do you do with the overwhelming feelings of shame and intrusive thoughts? Well... Um, there's still things that I, from my past that I cringe about when I, um, think of them. So I'll, I'll tell you the way I'm, the way I'm doing this these days is with validation. Like, I'm not saying it's okay. Say this thing that I did that I regret. I'm not saying that's okay, but I do mean to see how it makes sense. Like, oh, this makes sense. I was triggered or, you know, it's not saying it's okay what I did. I'm thinking of something right now. I apologized immediately uh, for it and do regret it. What'd you do? I'm not talking about that. <laughs> and Oh, we found Bob's line. <laughs> but it's not about sex. So. Oh, okay. Um, well, when you were, I'm just curious, you don't have to answer this sure. either, but earlier you're like, oh, I'm already, I'm thinking about something right now. Is this what you're thinking of? Or no. Was it, was no. It, can you share that one? Oh, I can't remember what that one was. It was in the shower today. You're, you're, you regret something, something that you did. You feel sorry. You, you failed. You made a mistake. Made a mistake or... I don't know if I did, if I just felt... Anyways, um, I'm not going to talk about the other thing because it's work-related and I think that'd be too revealing for a client. Oh, oh. Um, but I apologized immediately for it. I really like that. I like that um, I can change uh, fast um, and offered repair, which I think was partially successful and um can also look at that like it, it's not okay but it comes from somewhere that i can understand i do understand actually i was triggered and um uh had a trauma response and i don't choose them in fact that's one of the things i really love about working with couples is that everybody's behavior makes all the sense in the universe mm -hmm. and at the same time is completely causal of their partner's responses, their emotional responses, and then their emotional behaviors, which are completely make sense and are also causal of the first person's, you know, mm -hmm. set of behaviors and thoughts. And it's sort of like everything here makes sense. Everything here is completely understandable from a certain point of view is absolutely okay and it's totally steamrolling this couple. Mm -hmm. Lately, now I say, you guys are getting mugged by your limbic systems. You're just <laughs> getting pushed around by your limbic systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, uh, that way you get out of the mea culpa, mea culpa, I'm such a poor excuse for a human, or the other one, the, uh, well, yeah, but you're a big jerk, so that's why I did it. Right. You get to skip all that. Um, what was the question? I don't remember. How do you know if your therapist is a good fit, Bob? How's it feel? How's it feel? Does it feel okay? How's it feel? That's how I know. Feel, what do you mean? What what kind of feeling are you looking for? Do I feel safe? Okay. Do I feel like, do I trust? Mm -hmm. And that's, again, like you were saying earlier, a thing that develops over time. Um, when there are the inevitable um, ruptures, it's too big a word, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, conflict. Um, 
How's it go? Yeah. 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 Things I'll add to it is, do they understand you? Mm -hmm. That's a big one for me. Mm -hmm. When I go to a therapist, I want them to, because it's not a comment as a client to talk for like 25 minutes straight and to have a therapist at the end of that time have to convey that they get what you're saying. Right. And I've had therapists where they can do that, and I've had therapists where they couldn't. And, they couldn't. and I'm like, okay, I just was talking 25 minutes to the wall, apparently, because yeah. you, or you didn't stop me to try to figure it out, or I'm not, I don't feel like I'm talking that complicatedly. Mm-hmm. Are you daydreaming? Are we just completely different people? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, is it helping? Is it helping? Uh, right. And the other thing is, are you on the same page? Do you feel like, you know, you both know why you're there and what you're doing? Ooh, interesting. How do you gain compassion for people you don't like? Practice. <laughs> practice. Practice. Yeah. Practice. Yeah. For me, it's conceptualizing them accurately, as we yeah. talk about sometimes. Accurately. Absolutely. Like you were saying earlier in terms of couples can hurt each other. Yeah. But if they conceptualize their partner in a way, it's a lot less hurtful. It can still hurt, but it, it you know, oh, I, I see where it's coming from. Right. And 99.9%, if not 100% of the time, if you're ever confused as to why your spouse or a friend is, or a boss are treating you badly, it's because they are mismanaging their fear or their pain. Yeah. And they either don't know they're in pain or they're afraid or they don't know how to express it or they were abused and feel like no one can be trusted with it or something's going on, but it's because their their inner child is hurt or afraid. Um, the other thing I try to do to gain compassion for people I don't like is to try to be in their shoes as best I can yeah. and also recognize my own foibles, of which there are many. Mm. How can I be a better person? How can one be a better person? Don't like this question. How, what do you mean? It implies that there is such a thing and that if you can be better, that you also can be bad. Mm. I, I, I tell people, I don't tell them this too much these days because it's a little, I think it's a little too smanky um you're not a good person you're not a good person um you're maybe a person i like person i enjoy person i find interesting but you're 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 not a good person and the reason to let go of that kind of thinking is so that you don't um start selling yourself some bill of goods about you being a bad person Mm. um to step out of that. Now, at the same time, it's kind of a dialectic because on the other hand, I do believe in basic goodness. And that's not hard for me because all you got to do is think about everybody was a baby once. And when they were a baby, they were this perfect right. little knot of purpose. And But you don't become a good person. You just are a good person. You just are. Yeah. In a long-term relationship, how do you know when to keep fighting for your relationship when there's conflict? When do you know you should pull the plug? I don't know. That's really, you know, I don't know. Do you ever work with the clients on this question? Yeah, but it's not one I can actually answer. Right. But what do you do? I listen. Yeah. And make room for the exploration. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The questions, one of the main questions that I ask clients in this situation is, can you live with this person the way that they are today for the rest of your life? Oh, that's a good question. Because I've... I've found this question to be useful. I didn't know it was it's just all the various questions I've asked clients over the years. But right. I find that this question is a very, very good litmus test. Because yeah. for those people who, you know, like, Bob, you and Colleen get in conflict sometimes. So let me ask you, can you live with Colleen the way she is today without any change for the rest of your life? Yeah. We actually just had this conversation recently. Right. And without hesitation, you say, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, sure, there are things I wish were different, but and I'm going to keep fighting for it, yep. and I get disappointed, yep. and I, I have negative times, yep. and there's some pretty dark valleys occasionally. Yep. But no, I, I'm never going to leave her, uh, even if she stays the same. Yeah, I, I'd rather have this than not that. <laughs> so, but with people that are not in those shoes, and I ask them that question. Uh, they will say, oh, no, no, no. I cannot live with this person the way that they are today for the rest of the No, no, no. Yeah. And so now, uh, this doesn't, there's a nuance here because for some clients, and I've worked 
with them and they've successfully turned their relationship around where they're like, well, no, I can't deal with this person the way they are now, but that's why we're in therapy. Right. Hopefully we can change them right. <laughs> and us, I suppose, right. and then I can live with this person. That that can happen, but, sure. but a, a really good litmus test is uh, because there's this implication that I'm struggling with this person. I'm struggling with this person. I don't like I, 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 the, the way they treat me out, the way a relationship is, but I think they're going to change one day or there's, there's yeah. signs that they're going to change. Right, right. And yeah, sure. Of course we're therapists. Of course we believe that that could happen, sure. but the kinds of problems you run into with your spouse, they don't really change. <laughs> Unfortunately, they persist at the very least. Uh, they lower in frequency, but never go away kind of a thing. Yeah. And so uh, you're either in love with them and you want to spend your rest of your life with them or, or you don't. Now, having said that, even when clients will say to me, oh, no, I don't want to live with them the way that they're, uh, that doesn't mean I'm like, well, time to leave. Yeah. I never say that. It, no. It's because what do I know? And, yeah. and I've had people answer the question, no, one week and yes, the next week. Right. But it is a good question to figure out where you're at at right. that moment. Um, what was the last? Oh, when, when asked, one should be flexible. Like, I remember you told this story several months ago. I don't remember all the details, but it was similar to this. And the person said no, and then later they said yeah, and they felt self-conscious about their quote-unquote inconsistency. And what you said was, it is absolutely essential that I don't glue myself to whatever they said. Oh, last week you said blah, 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 and now you're saying this. Yeah. Like, that people do change, and it's yeah. it's okay. Right. And I will actually tell my clients that. Yeah. They'll say when, you know, maybe they have like a couple weeks where like, no, right. no, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. And and we'll explore it. And then at some point, I'll make sure to say, so I just want to let you know that if you change your mind at any at any time and you suddenly now want to make things work with your partner, I will not hold that against you. No. I, I won't even necessarily be surprised. Yeah. Um, and so don't feel like you have to be consistent right. with that with me. Yeah. Don't be beholden to what you've told me. No. Be free to be who you are right. when you are. Uh, because I've had clients that in the past would say, uh, I think I've changed my mind. Is that okay? <laughs> and I'm like, you're not beholden to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's important as a therapist to ho hold on to the, you know, the vision of therapy, which is that it's not about you right. as a therapist about yes. getting attached to certain outcomes. No. It's, it's about being with a client right. as, as they are very understandably ambivalent about something that's very important. Yeah. And I've said this before that, the average, and I've been through many, many therapeutic cycles with clients where they are ambivalent about a relationship, they decide that they want to leave, and then they leave. The average time span between the, the first statement of, I don't know if I want to be married to this person anymore, or even just like, my spouse bothers me, to the point where they've moved out is, is like five to ten years, five, seven years or something. Yeah. So it takes a long time for people to pull the plug makes sense they'll stand way. there at the wall with their hand on the plug for five years going like should i pull it should i not right. what if i what if it's wrong decision right um you know i could make it work what if i'm wrong and i choose and i date and i find even worse people are out there i don't want to be single what's right. everyone going to do what are the kids going to you know right there's a lot of reasons why you sit there and stare at the plug damn right and some people even find ways to pull the nose up on the nosedive Bob, what was the last thing you ate, and would you and what would you rate it out of ten? Colleen made me uh, iced vanilla latte for breakfast this morning, and it was a ten. Wow! Yeah, it was really good. Wow! She always makes them really good, though. I can't. Uh, I hate vanilla in coffee. I hate coffee. <laughs> oh, so you got to fill it with other shit. <laughs> See, because I love black coffee, yeah. rich like yeah. non. I can't get 7-Eleven coffee anymore. Right. I have to have like real or Americanos, which are no milk or anything yeah, like that. Just, yeah. Well, that makes sense. But even, but the vanilla anyway, there's just something about it that just always. It's like a vanilla shake, man. It's so good. Uh, okay. For me, what did I eat? Yeah. I had a snack because uh, there's some people building a fence oh. uh, for us and I'm running back and forth 
trying to get that situation because I need to make sure that they put the fence posts in the right places and all that kind of stuff. And it's actually pretty amazing because in the past, when I would have fences, I always built them myself. And to have other people build a fence for you, my goodness, they get the wood, they have the tools. They, they, the biggest thing is the concrete and the digging of the holes. Right. They have like one of those power hole makers. Oh, you know? wow. Uh, and there's a, another guy there making sure they don't like hit any kind of pipes or anything. Oh. But anyway, so I was running back and forth with that and I didn't have a lot of time to eat. So, and then Bob was coming over. And so I had some cashews, mm, nice. some macadamia nuts. Roasted? Yeah, uh, roasted, no salt, mm-hmm. and some crinkle-cut salt and vinegar chips. Oh, that sounds so good. <laughs> and some yogurt. Mm. <laughs> this is a little glimpse into my snacking behavior. Some coconut water. Mm. I think that's it. But it was standing in the kitchen, just kind of shoving handfuls no. of crap in my yeah. mouth. And uh, out of 10, you know, it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. Macadamia good. nuts are delightful. Yeah, I don't like them. Really? Cashews, though. Oh, cashews so good. Don't like macadamia. Yeah. I find macadamia to be like top... It's like the texture. T- top three nut for me. No, 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 no. What, what, what's your other two? Well, pine nuts can be nice in mm. certain contexts. Um, Brazilian nuts can be great. You you like all the wrong nuts. Uh... uh Almonds can be great. Oh, I love almonds. Oh, you ate some of my tamaris the other day. That's right. They were really good, right? Oh, you made those. I made those. I forgot that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, out of 10, I'd give that, I'd give it a seven. Your your snack lunch? Yeah. Favorite thing about your spouse? My favorite thing about Colleen. Oh, okay. Well, all right. <laughs> my favorite thing about Colleen is she always comes back. She's the only person I've ever been with who, if there's a conflict, doesn't just wallow in blaming me or, you know, whatever. She'll actually show up and say, here's my part. Wow. Yeah. She did that. Our first fight was six weeks into our relationship. And two days after the fight, we're sitting in a pub and she's saying, okay, here's my contribution. Like out of the blue? Out of the blue. Wow. I know. That's a big deal. Deluxe. Wow. Yeah. That's rare. I mean, talking like 0.01% of the population are like that. That's amazing. Yeah. For me... You can tell us. Oh, right on. um, It's hard to say one thing, but I would say, because, you know, you want it to be kind of comprehensive, right? I don't want to just say like her eyes. Yeah. Um, But I would say the phrase easygoing Mm -hmm. comes to mind. Yeah. That she is extremely easygoing. That meaning that I mean she's she's highly anxious. <laughs> so I'm not going to say she's not tightly wound. But when it comes to I don't know the complaining, it's sort of like there's a. Um, I think we all have this where our spouse will bug us in some particular way, or even our job will bug us in a particular, way, and the complaint will kind of rattle around in our head. Stacy doesn't seem to do that. And sometimes I thought, well, she must just be suppressing it, right? But there are many times where she will demonstrate, you know, like if you ever go out to dinner with like other couples or something and there's a conversation that will come up about like, you know, does Kirk do that to you too? That kind of like, my husband does this Old crap thing to me. Does Kirk do that to you? And there's these multiple opportunities where I kind of look at Stacy. I'm like, oh God, what's going to come out of her mouth? And she's like, nope, he's good. <laughs> and and it, you know, I don't know why I'm bracing myself, but I just always wonder, you know. But so I think that's a symptom of that easygoingness that she has. This, um, this. Uh, lightness. Maybe that's a good word for her too. Just uh, she again. She can be extremely high strung and mm-hmm. tightly wound. <laughs> so I'm not saying she's like she's mm-hmm. not a surfer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She's the opposite of a surfer. Mm-hmm. She's a worrier. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to complaints, 
Like even she doesn't talk bad about people. Really? I mean, occasionally, maybe kind of certain people, Hmm. but like, she has this one friend and I, I don't think she's ever said anything negative about her. And a lot of people, that's what they do. I think Stacy's beyond the curve on that sort of. I think the average person, it's not uncommon that, you know, you have a, a complaint or two. They go, ah, he, he does this thing and he did it again. You know, and you still love that person that you're complaining about, but you just want to complain. Stacy doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't talk bad about people because she, I don't think she thinks bad things about yeah, people. Right. You know, it's not that she's suppressing. I, she, she, she just like, um, I, in fact, it probably goes a little too far. sometimes I feel like she probably should complain more often about me or about other people in her life. I feel like she should probably feel that she deserves to like at least think or say things that are complaining in nature about other people. But, but it is a really great thing that I, I, I admire that about her. I try to be like her in that way. It's a practice, I think, of... Because I think you can get into a practice of complaining oh, a lot. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and they're juicy. Yeah. Just like, ah, let's complain about this person. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying she doesn't complain. You know, this is hard to describe. Yeah. Uh, it's just, um, maybe another word for it is very easily forgiving. Yeah. She's, she's not a grudge holder like Mm -hmm. she's the opposite of a grudge holder Mm -hmm. whatever that personality is like she does not hold grudges like she would never in a conflict with me bring up something like well you da 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 you know last month or two years ago that thing she would never do that because i don't think it i don't she doesn't catalog she just like moves on and I find that to be extremely admirable and extremely useful to me. (laughs) All right, everyone out there, please take care of yourself and take care of others because you deserve it.